Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a program made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, and along with my good friends Reese and Kyle, we will be breaking down the embarrassing win by the Kansas City Chiefs against the Denver Broncos. Now, when I say embarrassing, I don't mean it was a blowout. I mean it was embarrassing for our boys, the Kansas City Chiefs. After looking like the laughing stock of the NFL and laughing stock of this podcast from the previous podcast, the Broncos give the Chiefs a run for their money. The Chiefs win 22 to 16 going 11 and 1 as we head into the last leg of the season. We've officially clinched a playoff spot, but like I said this was embarrassing for us. We have a text, we actually have multiple. We have like 20 text chains going on it's crazy we have to like we have to consolidate it to one because i i texted like five different places today anyway consistently on every text chain reese was raging so reese the floor is yours to start it we're not gonna if and or but this one let's go baby if i was as bad as my job as the officials in the nfl were at their job I wouldn't currently be employed by Boulevard Brewing Company. (laughs) If I couldn't do my job on that fundamental or consistent of a level, I would be unemployed right now. I'd be looking for another job or looking for a way to monetize this podcast to make a living. I'm just, it's, it's incredible. And and I, I feel like I'm getting like to be a broken record at this point, just repeating, repeating, repeating. Officials should not take 17 gosh dang points off of the board in a single game for one team. That to me is despicable. So despicable. To to cut you off just so you can keep going, 17 points. The first one was the Tyreek Hill flip. What were the other two scores? No, the, the very first one was the Tyreek Hill uh, juggle catch, which let's let's break down that one first. So uh, that was, what was it, late in the first quarter, Tyreek had that long bomb from Pat. Tyreek should have got it on the first going up for it. He had clear hands on it, rare drop. After last week, I'm going to give it to him. But he came down, and I kid you not, I think I texted real time. I said, huh, that's weird. I didn't see the ball hit the ground. Maybe replay will show it. And on replay, guess what? That's because the ball never hit the ground. So... Part of this is on Andy Reid and the Chiefs and their guy upstairs, who is also, in my opinion, on thin fundamental ice. Because, oh my word, they rushed the punt team out to get that punt off like they were trying to keep a call from being reversed, you know, via replay. So here's what I'm getting at with that. It was a deep bomb pass. They got a guy reviewing every play up in the booth. They got a guy reviewing every play. It was in the end zone. That person didn't think to stop and review that play. The referee should have stopped to review that play. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. And and I take maybe slight issue with Armando with your intro because I feel that this was less of an embarrassing game for us than it was an embarrassing game for the league in general, which I know is the whole point of this Raging Reese segment. But, you know, I, I, I stand by, I mean, we'll talk about Kelsey's hilarious post game in a little while. But, but I stand by that, where at the end of the day, foibles and all, we went in and got it done. I think this is much more embarrassing for the refs. I think there's a lot of things that happened today that we should be embarrassed about, particularly our defense, and I we'll disagree. talk about that. But, uh, but you're but right. We'll I mean, that. a lot of things that were happening referee-wise uh, were unacceptable and not good for us and pivotal things that happened to us. Going to your point about Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill is the first player in the NFL in like 100 years 
to have caught a ball, but not actually known they have caught a ball. Like, not only was it bonehead for Andy Reid and for the people upstairs not to catch it, but Tyree Kill to not to not even try to challenge that as an NFL receiver. I have never seen that in my young history of the NFL, but I also dare to say that has never happened in the NFL where you've caught a pass, where you've caught a touchdown, and you go, eh, I didn't catch it. Eh. <laughs> what, what blows my mind is I feel like on any other play this year for the Kansas City Chiefs, we'd be up in the line, you hear, ah, Andy! Ah, and then you'd hear, tweet, 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 and then some old boomer would run on the field and go, the previous play is under further review. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not holding any punches. One of the guys was so old, he looked like he was in line for the Kennedy inauguration. I kid you not. It's unacceptable. And I've said it before. It's like, why are there so many, like, geriatric men, head officials in this league? You know, they can't. I can't keep up with Tyreek Hill. How was somebody 50 years my senior supposed to keep up with Tyreek Hill? At least that game we had last week, we had that female side judge who looked like she was maybe pushing 33. Yep. You know? We we, we definitely need younger people in the game. And we also need, like, college experience referees who, like, actually uh, referee this style of play where we're seeing, like, a faster-paced game, something more like a college-style play. So you're right, there has to be some sort of changing of the guard or some sort of you have to check on these people and make sure that they can handle, right, this Tyreek Hill that's, you know, 3.940 speed. Like, someone that's 60 years old, I mean, even we can't catch that speed. So you're right, there has to be some sort of accountability there because it's it's game after game after game that we've had the referee segment that we have to continually do not just because not just because it's fun but it's it's incredibly valid all of the things that have happened well what's crazy is that the head official looked like he brought down the median age of the entire officiating crew by about 15 years with his ripe young age of 48 or whatever he looked like i mean it's just it's incredible to me so the fact that the officials upstairs didn't say hey let's take another look at that that looks pretty close let's take another look at that is unacceptable the fact that our Chiefs replay guy and Andy didn't say, hey, let's throw the red flag out there and just take another peek at it is also, you know, almost equally unacceptable. And that's also their job. But that's point number one. So the second one, obviously, is that long bomb to Tyreek Hill in the fourth quarter that should have put the game on ice. The second I saw Pat throw that, I'm like, Tyreek's got about five yards of separation. He's walking this in. The game is over. Lo and behold, camera pans. Tyreek's got five yards of separation. This game is over. Stands on the goal line, does a backflip. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, are they going to call this a personal foul before he enters the end zone so they're going to make us play it from like the one yard line or something because these referees are so soft? But no, they call it back on that phantom, phantom holding call on Allegretti. Did you guys see that hold? Lack of a hold, I think you mean. Yes! <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if it, when you see it in slow motion, which, of course, we see on our end after the play, it does look like holding for maybe 0.5 seconds of the slow motion. Therefore, in real time, that has to be a no call. That has to be just like a little tap and then going through. But when they slowed it down, like they essentially just paused on it for 0.3 seconds in real time, that's nothing and unacceptable. Again, I don't know why we don't see. We seem to be the only team in our games we've played this season 
that doesn't get the benefit of these holding calls. And oh my goodness, it's like I could just sit here taking a sip of my 24-ounce water bottle. And by the end of the game, I'd be out of sips if every time we were held and it was not called. People have been railing on Chris Jones and Frank Clark this year saying, oh, earn your paycheck, especially you, Frank. Shut up, you stupid Chiefs fans. They're doing the best they can where they're getting like double teamed. And on the final drive, Chris Jones, sorry, uh, I'm so mad. Frank Clark tried doing his signature spin move. The guy literally caught him around the waist and yeah. held him, you know, like held him. He was he was pelvics to buttocks, you know, in, in that position. And he couldn't turn back around. And I'm like, for the love of all things, I'm like, will somebody <laughs> throw a flag? And and not only that, but he was actually double held. He was held by that guy holding him around the waist. But there was also the other guy holding him on the right shoulder. And I was like, holy shit. Like, how is no one calling any of these plays after they, like, clearly got a couple other plays wrong? You would think that they would give us some sort of karma or something that they they do in the NBA. They normally do it in the NFL. If they know that they've screwed up a play, sometimes they'll try to make it right. Didn't try to make that one right and could have could have just sealed the game. Dear listeners of the podcast, I'm sorry. I still got a bunch of refereeing stuff to rage about. And we're already about 10 minutes into this Lay it cast, on, so baby. Keep going, baby. Keep rolling. Buckle up and crack your beer because we got some stuff to talk about here still. So I'm just going to keep on trucking about the points they took off the board. Fourth quarter, Butker goes out there, tries to put that field goal on to put us up six. I Even I noticed the play clock. I'm like, well, maybe Andy's going to call a timeout. You know, just going to run this down to like the last millisecond he can. But they still got the snap off in time. Kicks that 43-yard field goal. Oh, wait, what's this? I'm like, did they call a timeout? Denver's out of timeouts. What could possibly have happened? And they trot out there and have the audacity to call delay of game. That was terrible. It's 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 insane. I can't believe it. Like, I, 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 I am literally speechless on that one. The number of times... I've, as an NFL fan, I've watched, and I've just assumed that like when the clock strikes zero, that's not delay of game. It's like you get a full second after it hits zero or something, you know, like a Mississippi count. The fact that like the millisecond it turns zero, which the ball was already snapped, by the way, they were so anxious to get their hanky thrown out there. And this is to the point where I have to believe that Goodell and the league are in these referees' ears and saying like, hey, Vegas says... Uh, too many people bet the over on the Chiefs. You know, you, you got to take points off the board. You got to have Denver win this one. You got to have Denver score last. I mean, that's to the point of what it's getting at. Especially when when Vegas had three and a half over on the Chiefs in the first quarter. Not that I know by experience. I just happened to go on Twitter and research that. But uh, yeah, when that happens and you know Goodell's like, uh, that, that's not good. <laughs> I can't remember seeing a delay of game ever called that was literally not delay of game that was the weirdest thing it's you know it's such a cut and dried penalty it's so cut and dried did the clock run out yeah that's the thing you have to answer like i said last week get get rid of every penalty i'm dead serious unless it unless it's a a saints rams level pass interference no pass interference no holding calls whatsoever uh False starts, offsides, nope. Because there was that play in the first quarter where Denver's entire defensive line jumped and they didn't call anything. Reese, uh, what is your panic meter for refereeing in the playoffs against the Chiefs? One to ten. Um, I think come playoffs, depending who we play, I think you'll see them calm down because at a certain point, I know the NFL knows that the Chiefs and the Super Bowl is money for them. Uh, I just think in the regular season... Uh, they're trying to do the best they can to keep these games competitive, have some upsets in Vegas, and uh, yeah. 
Because what if we play a physical team like the Steelers or a Titans team that plays very physical? Titans a little a little less than what they were last year, but let's say we play a Steelers team that's just going at us, right? Right at the line. They're pushing Tyreek, they're pushing Kelsey, and we start going back and forth with them and vice versa on the other end, we start getting physical with Claypool. Are you nervous that then they're going to start holdings, pass interference in a playoff game against the Steelers? Physical physical teams in particular, sorry. It's the fact that these referees can't find any modicum of consistency is what's most frustrating to me. Uh, I it, We can go back to that Colts-Packers game, I believe it was uh, last week, where they called holding literally on, it was like every play on that late drive in that game, which was ridiculous. We can go back to last week against uh, the Buccaneers where they called three straight holds on rough. us to set us back to second and 30, which is, again, disgustingly incompetent on those referees' points. So, you know, in the playoffs, <laughs> it, it, again, to make it personal fouls, unless it's something you can quantify, he spit on me. It's on my jersey right here, 15 yards. Uh, he took a swing at me after the play. We have it on replay, 15 yards. Uh, he literally, you know, pulled this receiver down before the ball had even finished the apex of its arc. Spot foul. Other than that, I don't want any more penalties in the NFL. Get these referees out of here. They're awful. Can we talk about also? Uh, in a similar vein, the strange commentary tonight. <laughs> you mean like pro-Chiefs, anti-Chiefs, or just weird? Uh, it, it was just strange feedback. Everything from trying to explain away these calls as as right or wrong, or that strange moment that, that you commented on where they like tried to say that <laughs> with the graphic <laughs> or that. Yeah, no, but 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 I was gonna say where like Tyreek like tried to juke a guy and they thought he was hurt it was weird oh yeah yeah so it's always strange whenever like we have national commentators with the chiefs because they're either clearly pro chief like like tony romo is always very fair i think personally with the chiefs like he's you know he he respects game because he understands game Mm -hmm. where we get people sometimes that just want to see an upset because then they are the commentator on an upset game on a on a Sunday night, you know? So for this game, it was, it was kind of strange because some of the calls that Reese was saying, they actually agreed with Reese where like, like for example, the, uh, the, uh, Butker field goal, you know, they were like, uh, that, that wasn't a lay of game no. or the other time with the bobble. I mean, they were all being pro chief. So I thought that was good on the, on our favor, but there was, yeah, I mean, there was, there was some weird stuff just trying to be like TMZ like, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we can go into that graphic, but it does little, it does kind of get us off the rage and Reese subject. But of course I would love to talk about that stupid graphic. Well, that's the one great thing about Tony Romo too, is that I'm not like the biggest fan of everything he does. I don't think he walks on water, uh, but in regards to his style, what makes him unique is the fact that like he's not old guard the way a Collinsworth or an Al Michaels is. He's not, you know, a Hall of Fame player the way that a Troy Aikman is. He is this young guy who's not going to be in the Hall of Fame, fairly recently really retired, good player, but not great player. He's got nothing to lose. So like he's not afraid of, you know, calling out officials because he was probably on the field and was like on the receiving end of a lot of this terrible officiating for a lot of his career. For the benefit. So I think he's those guys see both sides. It's definitely possible. So I I don't think he's afraid to call it like he sees it, which is one thing, like you said, I appreciate about Tony Rome's officiating. 
Or, yeah, <laughs> or yeah, commentary. Sure. Okay, so let we we will go back to that stupid commentary thing later. I think it's funny. Let's stay on Reese boiling right now. So Reese, may I share the text where you talked about our defense? Yeah, go ahead. Great. So Reese during the game, Drew Locke didn't look great, but he didn't look bad, unfortunately. <laughs> so during the times where Drew Locke looked decent, Reese sends us a text that says. Our defense has to be at least the third worst defense in the NFL, which is uh, quite- your, your reading comprehension is is not is not great, my guy. Fake news. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, Reese, explain. For all, our, for all of our listeners, it's a long-running thing that Armando reads like <laughs> the first and last word of any of my texts and just fills the rest in. It's led to many an argument. Okay, so, okay full, full disclaimer, that's always Kyle's go-to, but I always have sources to back up my claims. But this one I did get wrong, but it wasn't even <laughs> your text, Kyle. So, Reese, please explain what you said because I forgot. <laughs> so You're really acquitting yourself well here. Thank you. So, so I said in the text chain, I said our defense has to be a bottom third defense. Uh, all right, yeah, pretty much the same thing. Uh, big, big difference right. the, t- the 29th defense to being about the 20th defense. All right, all but, right. We still, regardless, bottom third is still quite the statement. So explain, explain what you meant there. So what made last year's defense, uh acceptable especially down the stretch was that we had a handful of playmakers that would make plays frank clark was closing out games chris jones was causing havoc throwing his arms up getting sacks honey badger was leading a relentless secondary disrupting plays getting sacks getting interceptions this year is right between last year's defense and the putrid 2018 defense and what i'm getting at with that is the fact that I never trust this team to get off the field on third down. It's third and seven. They're going to miss a tackle and they're going to go for nine. It's third and 12. There's going to be somebody with 10 yards of wide open space on a busted coverage. They can't get off the field. And what's weird is that we have the playmakers we had in 2019, but outside of Honey Badger closing the game tonight, they're just not making plays. You know, Reese, I, I agree with you there that they, they're they not making plays on the big moments like third downs we aren't doing well. But I'll have to disagree with you on your original statement that we're in the third lowest part of of the tier. Uh, sorry, I could have said that better. But the, the, the third tier, I guess you can say, the third half. Like I've said in the past and like I've said in previous podcasts, we play down to our opponents, and it's clear for all the people that we've had close games with, the Broncos, the Raiders, the Chargers, these are all divisional teams too, which also plays, they've they've played us more than the Saints have played us or the Bucks have played us, you know, so they've seen our schemes. They've they've seen Patrick Mahomes in real life. Seeing Patrick Mahomes on the field is different than seeing him on NFL.com. You know, of course, and of course, the the, uh, the 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 speed that the defense feels and the speed that he has going left and right is going to be different. So the Broncos, the Chargers, the Raiders do have an advantage there, but I think we also play down to them. Even the even the uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks, Tampa Bay did not look elite during that game, yet we played down to their standard. We played slower when Tom Brady played slower. You know, so I don't think that our defense is below average. I'll say that. I think that we are just average and we just suck when we play bad offenses. 
I think the biggest problem we have on defense right now is that we're not getting any pressure on the quarterback, which partially has to do with personnel. You know, Chris Jones and Frank Clark are getting double covered on, I mean, it seems like every play. You watch them, they're just, you know, getting wrapped up with two guys. They're getting pressure on the quarterback. They're not getting sacks. Uh, the two most frustrating things I would say are still run defense. It feels like we're letting them get four to five yard chunks every handoff. And that, again, equates to our defense. You know, it's like first down, run. Okay, second and six, run. Okay, now it's third and three. Guess what? They just converted the first down. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And you see these quarters like we had against Carolina and against us tonight. We're in the first quarter. We get one possession. You know, they maybe have two possessions. We get one possession. It's a field goal. And suddenly it's like, wow, we're down 7-3 after the first quarter. That's weird. Yeah, you're right about our run defense, but I think that the run defense that happens on these lower tier teams, and it, it could be coincidental that that these lower tier teams do have great running backs as well, like Melvin Gordon today, 15 carries, 131 yards, averaging 9.7 yards per carry, which is totally unacceptable. Even if Chris Jones and Frank Clark are getting double covered, we still had blitz packages today that we should have gotten a sack. Dirty Dan should have had a sack on one point. I mean, I think I think even uh, Honey Badger also had like a, a, a sneak blitz as well. We have blitz packages on third down, which sucks because we're forcing Derek Ooh, I almost said Derek Carr. One, two. No, actually, leave that. Leave that in. It's fine. It's kind of like Travis Kelsey today saying that hats off to the Raiders. Um, but we were blitzing Drew Locke on third down. He should not have made those plays that he made on third down. Totally unacceptable as a whatever second year quarterback that he is to make those plays. Frank Clark and Chris Jones are double covered. People still have to get to the quarterback. We we can't have zero sacks on Drew Locke. Well, what plays into our pass rush is the second thing that's really just irking me so much, and that's our secondary. Uh, they they were really good at faking it until they made it last year, and part of it has to do with they had a healthy Juan Thornhill back there, and just players overall were playing slightly better. But, I mean, I off the top of my head, can you guys think of one play that our defensive backs not named Tyron Matthew broke up a pass? Uh, I think I think Snead actually look, Snead had a few good things today. Six tackles, uh, tied for or I, had second most tackles. I'm not talking tackles. I'm talking defending a pass. I'm talking a ball is thrown to the man you're covering. You turn around and break it up, or you slap it out yeah, of their he, hands as soon as uh, they catch it. Snead almost had. I think he almost had that in- interception at, at one point, on like the third okay. quarter. But but to your point, yes, very few. You're right. I mean, Breland was getting burned today. Ward was just continuing his, I don't know, campaign of futility. Breland was very surprising, actually. To see him not turn around in the red zone was very Trivarius Ward-like, and I actually couldn't believe that that was Breland. I was like, oh, Ward did it again. I was like, wait a minute, Breland? Breland, you can't do that because you're our guy. You're the guy in the playoffs that's going to guard those elite receivers. So that made me very afraid as well. Here's the thing, guys. I agree with everything that you're saying. And I, I, I want to suggest that the, the burden of the blame for why this game was as close as it was, for why this game was a dumpster fire, falls in the like, you know, pendulum weights of justice more on offensive blunders and bad refereeing than it does on poor defensive play. And the only reason I say that is just like, Harkening back to stat Kyle for a moment from uh, Christmas past, if you just look at 
like the first half, for example, at the end of which we're we're uh, trailing by one, right? It's 10 to nine at halftime. Here's how that half went. First, uh, first drive, we intercept the Broncos, squander it, five plays and a punt. Second drive, we wind up holding the Broncos to a field goal and we never allow a play of more than eight yards. Next drive, we score a field goal. Next drive, we force them to punt. Next drive, we are forced to punt. Next drive is when we allow the touchdown. That was rough. Next drive, we're held to a field goal. Next drive, they miss a field goal. Then we kick field goal to end the half. That's a pretty gross first half of football. And none of that screams defensive or offensive breakdown. It just screams pretty mediocre offense and pretty mediocre defense. I mean, that's a really good point. Uh, the offense has not been defense. firing in all cylinders for a while. Uh, they, they seem to look really good against Tampa Bay. And then I don't know if it was the play calling, execution, or both really started pulling them back in the second half. Uh, it was kind of the same thing today. They were eating up chunks of yards, but once they got into the 15, you know, into the red zone, excuse me, they, they couldn't convert on touchdowns. It, it was insane. And I, I don't know if this is Andy going too conservative with play calling or if this needs to be more let Pat cook. Oh my gosh, I hate this being a thing. Uh, <laughs> let let X cook, you know. Uh, but it's I, I don't get how an offense as talented as the one we have isn't just lighting it up. I, I'm not sure why we're not averaging, you know, at least four touchdowns a game. Going to your point, Reese, you're right. At a point in the game, we had seven straight red zone drives without a touchdown. So this is not only this game, but we're talking about the Bucks and before the Bucks. And we've talked about this before as well. CEH just just did it doesn't run well in the red zone. But today we had Le'Veon Bell, who was great in the red zone. Now, granted, he doesn't have the speed that he does that he had in the past, but he still has the length, the agility that we saw today. He he was very agile in the middle of the field today. But we still haven't seen that weapon that we have. We have Travis Kelsey, yet I never see any plays called for Travis. Regardless of if he's double teamed or single teamed, you should still have, with the genius of Andy Reid, a play to target Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in the NFL. And we haven't seen that. We didn't see it today in the red zone, and we haven't seen it for the previous seven straight red zone drives. So it's unacceptable and kind of concerning going into the playoffs because we're going to we're going to be in the red zone a lot guys in the playoffs. I mean, we're going to have some great game scripts going in, into the playoffs, but when it comes down to it that is that is a big red flag going to. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't have another big target for these red zone drives. You know, it's like Sammy Watkins, I suppose, is our next biggest target to throw to. But you're seeing Travis Kelsey getting double teamed a bunch because we don't have a reliable go to tight end two for any sort of, I don't know, jumbo package down deep that far. Kaiser Kaiser caught a, pa- a pass today. Oh. <laughs> she, she sure did. I was like, holy crap, he can catch uh, the ball. (laughs) If I could have opened a window into his brain, the only thing that I saw his body language saying after he caught that pass was, don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble. Good job, Kaiser. We're proud of you. Could have gotten three more yards. Doesn't matter. Got the first down. I even said, I'm like, get paid. I'm like, Pat threw that like right in his bread basket where like it would be impossible to drop. He threw it right at like his navel as he was falling backwards. You know, it's just like, oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> listen, and but listen, that's a guy who knows if he drops that pass, he's not getting any more playing time. Yeah, I mean, uh, what what's unfortunate about our wide receivers is that they aren't really red zone, 
like uh, red zone specialty wide receivers. They are speedy receivers, which is great. But then when you have to cover them, when there is no space to run, then that is a weakness for Tyreek Hill. It's a weakness for Sammy Watkins. And it's not a knock on them. It's just that they are specifically those types of receivers that we need to be speedy down the field. Yet we don't have, other than Travis Kelsey, you're right, Reese, we don't really have that second go-to guy in the red zone other than Pat using his legs. I mean, we see Pat use his legs in the red zone all the time. Um, Definitely a concern. Reese, I want to go back really quickly, though, to the panic meter of the defense since we talked about that so much. What is your panic meter going into the playoffs? Granted, my devil, devil... devil's advocate argument where I said we play down to our teams. What happens to our defense playing to elite offenses? Well, I mean, Kyle's kind of talking me down on not just flipping out in the defense in these regards and the offense kind of needs to carry their weight. Yeah, I think Uh, so. And also, sorry, one more point on that. Immediately when you said that, I was thinking back to like, if we could turn back the clock and have like 100% healthy Jeremy Macklin, that's exactly who I would want for those situations. <laughs> Seriously, because sure. we went into that for season sure. and like he he's he, yeah I don't know that that was a shame how that I bring back out. Dwayne Bow. Oh, yeah. Um, so anyway, in regards to my panic meter on the defense, you know, uh, so I would say on a scale of one to ten, it is a seven point eight. It had ooh that that's a big panic. Well, here's the thing. You put a quarterback better than Drew Locke in that situation tonight, and I think they go down the field and they score a touchdown at the end of the game. I mean, we almost saw it last year in that Chargers game in Mexico if Dan Sorensen hadn't intercepted a pass in the end zone. You know, we would have lost that game as well because they would have gone. You know, they would have gone for the two point conversion to win that game. Uh, so I, I think even if you put somebody like Herbert in their knife, this is the Chargers. I think the Chargers go down the field and put that touchdown to the board. And Herbert's not the best quarterback we're going to see in the playoffs. We're going to see a lot of seasoned veterans, you know, like uh, hopefully, you know, Drew Brees or Russ or Aaron Rodgers. One of those guys is going down the length of the field with, what was it, a minute and a half left to go. Crazy Kyle, how about you? What is your panic meter for our defense going into the playoffs? Well, the the one positive thing I see from our team all of this season is just being able to stick with the game, whether it's going well or poorly. I haven't seen much of getting up by two or three touchdowns and then getting too conservative and opening the door back up. Uh, I've seen a lot of pretty unimpressive uh, grinded out games against lesser opponents, but also, you know, welcome to a 16 game schedule. It's going to happen. Um, the one danger spot is where we really let that Raiders game get away from us. And that, that was the one situation where it, it didn't, didn't really feel like a a comeback was even cooking for us in that towards the end of that. So, um, I would say my, my, my panic level is, is no higher than a, than a six. And it's only that high if we wind up facing, an offense that's really clicking on all cylinders because I have confidence that our team as a whole will be able to stick in whatever kind of game we get. Obviously a game we'd like to get uh, is a situation in which uh, we can put teams down early with lots of points. I mean, that's, that's what this team is built for. Hot take Mondo here. Hope everyone's doing well. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving about to come at you with some hot takes. Wasn't Thanksgiving like two weeks ago? I know. Well, sorry. Three, two, one. The Chiefs defense is 
the worst qualities of LeBron James. The Chiefs defense is LeBron James in the worst way. LeBron James takes games off when he wants to take games off, just like Kawhi Leonard, but in the NFL, our Chiefs defense takes games off. Look at the Bucks game where Dirty Dan, where Honey Badger, Juan Thornhill, those dudes were tackling. Give me give me two tackles that you saw today that were that were rugged, that were playoff tackles, that were that were hot. Give me give me two examples other than Willie Gay Jr. Zero. Zero. Maybe Willie Gay at the end of the game. But I saw no passion. I saw no heart. I saw no fire that I want to see. Would you be passionate playing the trash ass Denver Broncos? Come on, (laughs) cut him a break. But still, like like that will that will lose us a game. Who have we almost lost to this year? The Bucks that didn't play well. The Panthers, awful team. The Chargers, awful team. The Raiders, awful team. (laughs) Right? These are all awful teams. We are playing to our opponents. I will keep harping because that is the theme of this year. The defense needs to step up. I hope they can just turn it on. I hope Honey Badger can just go, all right, guys, now it's time. Here is, here's, here's that Space Jam Jordan juice that I've been saving for the playoffs. And then they all squeeze it into their mouths and they play the game of their lives for the playoffs. I hope that happens, but I don't think we can afford that, right? We can't let Patrick Mahomes go, great, I got to score 40 against the Titans now. Great. I got to score 50 against the Raiders in the playoffs. Like we like don't let him don't don't do that to Pat. Well, well, and on, on that point to flip that a little bit, sorry Reese, to flip that a little bit. That's kind of what happened tonight. Our defense for better or for worse did not let this game get out of hand. So a night when the offense was struggling, we kept in the game. Conversely, when they did put us down by 6, I think, or 4, only 4. Then, then our offense responded to put us up for good. So I hear your point and I agree with you. Um, but I think it's a matter of intensity all across the board because, you know, offensive line has to give Pat enough times to find the weapons, right? Uh, we can't roll out the pocket every single play. Well, to, to your point, Armando, we're thankful that we have an offense that if they get one more drive, I'm taking better than a coin flip chance that they're going to make it happen, particularly if it's just getting into field goal range. So we are blessed to have that. But at the same time, it's like, when are we going to start beating some of these teams by more than one score? You know, not just not just talking like we need more touchdowns, you know, but like more than a field goal even. How come the how come the defense allows the the Oakland Raiders I'm sorry I, just for just for reference on the podcast right now I purposefully call the Raiders Oakland and the Chargers San Diego I'm not just some like putz over here it's it's a dig I hate them uh back to my point why are we letting the Oakland Raiders drop 40 points on us the first time and then 31 points the second time why can't we beat the Carolina Panthers by more than two points? Why does the Carolina Panthers Christian McCaffrey semi-esque offense go for 31 points? You know, how come we couldn't beat the Buccaneers by more than three after the offensive spectacles we saw last game? How come we can't beat the Broncos by more than six in a game where they only score 16? I have a bit of a sidebar for you guys. Are you ready? Hit me. Always. I just spent uh, I just spent a little bit of time in Oakland, and it turns out that there are still a ton of 
Raiders fans out there in Oakland. So my hypothetical to you guys, if the owner decided to move the Kansas City Chiefs to Portland overnight and was just like, see ya, would you still be a Chiefs fan? Nope. Well, if we're not getting a football team, then yes. <laughs> Wrong answer. Like, like I'm Nobody. just, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just not going to have a, like if Patrick, I'm sorry, but I love Patrick Mahomes. Like I actually have uh, feelings for Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> oh, so if okay. he's still wearing, if he's still wearing a Chiefs jersey, he has Armando by his side. I mean, I have just as many feelings for Patrick Mahomes, but if Kansas City just, if the Chiefs were like, see ya, it's been real and just left, no, not a fan anymore. But I'm petty but like that. If, but if, but what if like Patrick wins a Super Bowl again and you see a smile yeah. on that on on that on that weedy cereal? Good, You're not good also gonna smile, give him give him yeah. give him a little kiss on yeah. that cereal? Good for them. No, dude, ask uh, ask the Seattle Supersonics fans how they felt watching the Oklahoma City Thunder host all those Larry O'Brien trophies. And and That's Thunder. Fair. I don't know. Baby. I'm yeah. I'm just I'm I'm just prisoner of the moment, like totally in love right now, just like you, you know when you like you, you know your like first girlfriend you're just like totally in love and everyone's like guys like what do you what what are you thinking Armando and they're like no she's she's great and that's kind of what I'm seeing I guess I don't know I, I don't know if that's a good analogy or not I mean that's all that's more in depth than I asked for but I appreciate the honesty <laughs> Everyone's favorite time of the podcast, and I could really go for a beer review tonight because I am still just red hot, dude. I'm like spicy mango cart hot right now. Ooh, callback. But but I've had uh, a few good beer beverages today to the point that like I'm not, you know, obviously it's been hours and hours since I last imbibed. So if I had to have another beer, I could. But it's just kind of like you know when you're just like beer saturated, you know? Never, never. Well, you're a better man than I. I was a. Uh, <laughs> I was doing like a flight of beers today, just you know, like five ounce, like ten plus percent potency things over the span of all the games today. It's just kind of like I'm done drinking. I'm thirsty for water. I'm just gonna keep drinking water. There was th- there was this one time where I went to this beer festival and I had it, it was like these small little shot glasses that they they would give people. So I had quite a few of these little shot glasses so you can try all these different beers. And then at the like third hour, this lady brings out a tray. And mind you, this was earlier in my college years, so I didn't really know about mixing alcohols per se. And she goes, root beer float shots. And I was like, mmm, yum, root beer float. (laughs) So I was like, cheers, everyone. Yeah, worst night of my life. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) What was that? Probably like black velvet salted caramel root beer and... uh... Oh, Oh, this is actually great for, uh, for a Kansas City fan. It was right outside of... Um, that taco place and uh, Towns Tavern. Um, you know that street? What is that street called? 39th Street? No, it's not 39th, but we've been to ta- uh, Towns Tavern. It's, a, it's right off of Gillum. Dude, my Kansas City life feels like a fever dream at this point, man. It's oh, been... Well, that's bad... About- you talking about the, the four corner places? You got like yep. Ollie's and you got yep. yeah Towns Tavern and uh, like the PBR oh PBS station. Yeah. I forgot about Ollie's. Yeah. Dude. Oh, so, oh my so, god! And uh, so, the Tower uh, Tower Tavern. That's why I said Tower. Ta- yeah. Is that what called? <laughs> oh, I thought you said so, Town Town Tavern. Sorry, I missed you. It. Never listen to me. No, I'm just kidding. Who does that sound Uh-oh. like? You. 
Anyway, I had a beer festival right there, and then I had not a good night at Winstead's literally like 30 minutes after that was done. You gotta work on your diction, bro. Hot hot Kansas City take right here. We're gonna lose all of our viewers. I have never thought Winstead's was any good. What? Yeah, it's it's pretty... Delete that. Both of you, delete this. This is not going on the podcast. Yeah, it won't. Not going on the podcast. That is where I had my first date with my now wife, Logan. I know, buddy, I know. That is where I had many a great time with friends. I'm sure you, we even went and had a, a nice milkshake or something. Guys, their burger oh. is, I mean, it's just like a nice, you know, one o'clock, 2 a.m. burger. Reese, I mean, you can't, you can't beat it. Do you want to uh, see Winstead's and Ray's frickin' frack? Because that place was bomb. Oh, dude. I mean, I was going to say, like, I could name Delete at least, th- this. Delete I could this name at least three, How like, you know, you smash burger joints off the top of my head. I, oh, I would say God. frickin' frack, Town Topic, Tay's Burger Shack, yeah, Town Topic Westport Flea Market, and then a smash burger. Oh, yeah, of, of course. I mean, of course. West, yeah, Westport Flea Market's number one. But still, like, for the circumstances, the price... The experience, the history, the tradition. How dare it, you guys? It, f- it felt like I was Let's back in my peer review. Felt like I was back in my high school after a strike party, you know, for theater, <laughs> and we were like, at yeah, that's Perk- great. I love we, that shit. And we were at like Village Inn until you know, like one yeah, a.m. Village Inn, baby, singing songs. Oh, you are an Iowan. Hey, I feel yeah. like that video where it's the two Kyles. Wow, you really are Kyle. <laughs> wow, you really are Kyle too. Oh yeah. I digress. Now that none of us are in high school anymore, Armando, what beer will you be viewing on the podcast tonight? Yeah, why don't you live in the uh, past a little more and review a root beer float? Here's <laughs> uh, my root beer float shot. It could have been better. It tastes Sorry. like tastes like bad memories. <laughs> oh. um, Can we just delete <laughs> yeah, actually, all of that? I hated everything no, that just happened. No, that's great. That's fun. No, I mean, not. we should we should definitely delete you guys ragging on Winstead's. That yeah, if we want podcast viewers, idiots. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to be reviewing Second Street Brewing's Brown Ale. Now, Second Street Brewery is a brewery out of Santa Fe, New Mexico, and their Brown Ale just won gold at GABF 2020 for the American style Brown Ale. So this is the Brown Ale of 2020 in America. I am so excited to share it with you guys today. Uh, I was passing through Santa Fe to go to Arizona to visit my family, um, and I just kind of typed in to see if there's any good breweries, and I was like, whoa, their brown ale is the best brown ale in America? I guess I got to try it. And just some random dude was at the door because COVID, everything shut down. I was just getting a four-pack to go to the hotel, um, and it was pretty conspicuous. I was like, well, this is strange, and dude's like, just like popped up his garage door and it was like hey what do you want i'm like whoa just want to try the brown ale my man whoa calm down ended up being a really nice guy but it was i was like we'll see what happens and guys you're in for a treat today let's get started all right so as everybody knows at this point we have five criteria plus the wild card round to judge these beers on a scale of one to ten so first things first aroma what does the brown ale smell like to you all right let me crack this guy open real quickly all right, taking a sniff off the bat, you do smell a lot of dark chocolate. Not like milk chocolatey, but you do have a nice dark chocolate. Now, because I've had it before, maybe I was thinking of it, but the the chocolate comes pretty subtle in the aroma. It's not a heavy brown ale. And I'll, I'll tell you more as I start to drink it. 
but it is very subtle all the way around. So give me just a little subtle chocolate, which is cool for a brown ale because sometimes it can be kind of heavy and kind of disgusting. Give me an 8.3. Ooh, nice and malty. Love it. Okay, the number two on there, appearance. What is the brown ale looking like? Hopefully it's not blue. (laughs) (laughs) Take that out, too. Take that in your Winstead out of there. All right. I liked it. Appearance. (laughs) Appearance is great. Um, Kind of strange. On the top of the glass, and I'll show you guys, pretty dark on the top. As you get to the bottom, it starts to get kind of lighter, lighter in color. So it's kind of a two-dimensional beer. I don't really know what the the science is behind that. I can't really explain why. But just from what I'm seeing, it's very clear on the bottom and very dark on the top, which I think is pretty cool. Give me give me an 8.6 on that. It's so bizarre. I don't know what the dense and not dense compounds of brown ale would be that would cause it to do that. You don't suppose it's the glass, do you? It's definitely the glass, dude. No, because because I've also had, you know, lighter beers. I've had ales in this. I'm putting it up to the light as well because sometimes, you know, if it's in a darker place. But even in the light, it still looks like a two-tier thing. I, yeah, I and it's not it, that, You're like, drinking out of a two-tier glass, dude. Yeah. I mean, okay, yeah. <laughs> there is... There, there is this divot, but the divot's not going to change the color. Hmm. Anyway, it looks really cool. It looks super cool. Dude, we got to get Carlton back on here. Carl would know the science behind all this. <laughs> all right. Shout out to Carlton. If you haven't heard our podcast, go back uh, into your favorite listening device and listen to Carlton Graham's interview. It is wonderful. I don't know why I was ever afraid of reviewing a beer on this podcast. I don't know either. Number three, flavor. All right, flavor, my favorite. Well, Armando reviews flavor. I think it'd be pertinent to make a flavor town joke. Whether this is true or not, I heard Guy Fieri's raised something like twenty million for small business restaurants. Yep. Meanwhile, meanwhile, like the government's raised zero for small business restaurants in the last like <laughs> six months. So Guy Fieri's like literally the king of flavor town. And like all that money was like loophole <laughs> stolen by like Walmart. Well, and the fact that Tom Brady got Yikes. like a PPP loan for his small TB12 brand, even though he makes like $20 million a year. Oh, God. That's so gross, man. Really? Dude, not a friend of the podcast, Tom Brady. Anyway, flavor. And in case flavor. Walmart sues us, okay. I don't actually know if Walmart took that money, but other big companies did. <laughs> okay. The reason why I love this beer and I understand why it got the GABF gold medal, this baby is crushable. It's insane because you get a Pilsner taste to the brown ale, but you also get hints of the dark chocolate. You get hints of cinnamon. It's it's so strange because you get this robust flavor all the while having that light taste of a pilsner which is super cool 9.2 wow 9.2 on the flavor that's pretty impressive man i can have six of these right now and normally i can't have six brown ales i can have six kolsch's i can have six pilsners i can have six bud lights or whatever kyle drinks on a on a daily basis but normally i can't have six brown ales was, give me was six that really necessary that feels that feels like a lot that's what you get. That's what you get for saying that you're not afraid to do beer reviews because you thought this one sucked. Man, remember, Armando, the only child of the podcast, can't take the heat. Yeah, that's true, actually. Whenever it comes to you, I do have to challenge you. Reese, whatever Reese says goes on this podcast. I like that. All right. So then 
Except nope. for when you pick Miami Dolphins as five on the power rankings. Yeah, yeah right. Hey, if I can back it up, if I can justify it, I can back it up. And I was going to say, a, like, a, you just got all over him for Winsteads earlier. I think you just don't like to, to you know, practice oh, yeah. what you uh, preach. That was, that was awful. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm going to stand by that. Fans, go on our Twitter poll and say if you like Winsteads or not. We don't have a Twitter poll, but I'll try to post one. We'll see. Wow. Anyway. Oh, that was good. Moving on to our next <laughs> category, right. number four, mouthfeel. All right, thin skin Mondo, let's go. All right. All right, mouthfeel, pretty similar to flavor. You get the lightness of the Pilsner on the mouth, but you also get that brown malt that is normally heavy. You get that to juxtapose as well, which is which is crazy, right? Like I've said before, you get either or for a lot of brown ales or darker ales, red ales. You know, sometimes if you get a lighter red ale, then you'll also get a light mouthfeel. But for this, I'm I'm getting kind of half and half. I can't I can't really pinpoint one or the other, which is really cool. You have that blend of both, um, so it's great. I love it. Give me a nine point four. Jeepers creepers, talk about a gold medal winning beer. Your ratings are high today, dude. You're bringing it. It's the best brown ale in America. Wow. Better than Ellie's brown ale out of Avery? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I feel like, Sorry Avery. <laughs> I feel like Ellie's brown ale is like the Winsteads of brown ale. Everyone says it's good, <laughs> but in reality. It's like fat tire. <laughs> oh, geez. Fatty ice. <laughs> All right. I love fat tire. Number five. You would like fat tire. <laughs> Uh, what's number five? Sorry, go ahead. Number five, aftertaste. What okay. is the aftertaste on that beer? <laughs> All right. Aftertaste on this guy, very strange again. Like I said, brown ale. So we get the heaviness of the brown, the brown malt on the tongue. <laughs> we don't get any of that in the aftertaste. It is completely smooth, just like a Pilsner, just like a Kolsch. Incredibly crushable. It's like the maltness just stays on the tongue, but not on the back end, which is wonderful, really cool. That's kind of what makes it crushable. Give me, oh, dare I? I? I dare, hot take Mondo, a 10, a 10 on aftertaste. Wow, a 10 on aftertaste. I don't think I'd ever see the day. Is that the well, first 10. 10 of the podcast? Uh, uh, I, I want to say 10 one beer. I think I tend one category as well. Maybe in grapefruit wheat. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway, so we've somehow made it to the final quality <laughs> to uh, discuss for our beer reviews. Number six, BDQ, the brown drink quality qualities. Uh, how would you rate that beer for BDQ? You know, on a on a scale from Frick Frack to, to Winstead's, it's closer to the Winstead side, if I if I may say so myself. Give me a 9.2 on BDQ because it is so interesting. The brown ale category is not a very interesting category, but you get some nuances in this beer, and boy, is it crushable. I wish they sold this at Winstead's so I can get my triple stacker, then I can get my milkshake, finish it off with a brown ale with my beautiful wife. Question. Is are, are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the Winsteads of the NFL? Highly touted until you actually experience them. <laughs> oh. oh, guys, you guys are breaking my heart and like all of our ten fans. <laughs> the best thing I ever had at Winsteads was a yogurt parfait. 
Let's cut this shit out. The, cut, the cut best thing I ever pot. had at Winstead's was quality time with my friends. I did enjoy that at Winstead's. Oh. And also, clearly, you've never been to Frick and Frack, because then you would know the name wasn't Frick Frack. Well, there, there is, there is Frick Frack on 39th, though. No, it's Frick and Frack. The place on 39th is called Frick and Frack, not Frick Frack. Correct. Whatever. I just think of it because of um, uh, Tales of Hoffman when he says Frick Frack. Oh, so yeah. whenever I see it, that's just what I think, and I say. Well, it, you've so. clearly never been there. Well, screw you. I don't. I don't really like read full sentences. I just read just the highlights. Oh, sorry, guys. I thought we were talking about Aladdin Cafe. My bad. Ah! <laughs> Here, here's the yeah, Aladdin Cafe. Here's great. the hard Love pill Aladdin that Cafe. I had to swallow is that well, I mean, it's fine, but I was so loyal to Aladdin Cafe for my time in Lawrence. You know, they have like a couple locations, one in KC, one in Lawrence. But when it comes to just like. Like apples to apples, I think I'm a Jerusalem Cafe guy, you guys. And that was hard for me to say because I love them both, but... Aladdin? Yeah. I mean, I would say for the specials, Aladdin. But when it comes to just like, you just want to get like some delicious soup and like a gyro, Jerusalem Cafe. All right, we are back from a fun beer review, a crushable beer review. Make sure you go back to our other podcasts as well, guys out there um, that maybe haven't listened to our previous stuff. We got some great stuff out there. The Carlson Graham interview, the Wyatt Mills interview, the Skip Schwartz interview, a lot of good stuff out there. So please check out that content. We love our beer. Not. Oh, go ahead. Oh, just and if I can throw one thing out there, uh, if you guys, dear listeners, can figure out what beer received a 10 and you contact us at fountaincitysm at gmail.com. No, dude. You will be the winner tweet. of- We have a Twitter pro- now. Don't, don't, don't. Uh, I mean- Don't have them email dude, Twitter's, us. Twitter's fine, but Gmail's so much more secure. So if you can, find, if you can figure out- <laughs> What? If you can figure out- Watch like what? all these like Russian bots <laughs> just like tweet us all these random beers. Yep. Anyway, back to you, Armando. Yeah, not only is Twitter trying- but so is Travis Kelsey, and he really doesn't have to try, but boy, does he give 110% every game that he plays for us. We are so honored to have Travis Kelsey on our team. Let's look at some stats really quickly. One, today he eclipsed 1,000 yards for the season. That's the fifth time that he's had it in his career. That's the most ever by any tight end in NFL history. Not only that, today he also had a 100 receiving yard game, which puts him third on the all-time NFL list of 100 receiving yard games. Today he had eight catches, 136 yards, and a touchdown. Travis Kelsey every single game. Unfortunately, this was a close game, but Travis Kelsey said no problem. Give it to me. Now, the Broncos were playing a lot of zone, and they weren't playing a lot of man, which is perfect for Travis. And honestly, man is perfect for Travis as well. How do you stop Travis Kelsey? You can't stop Travis Kelsey. So today's debate question is, after we've solidified that Kelsey is not only the best tight end in the league right now, he has been the best tight end in the past three to five years, which now I think we can put him in the conversation of GOAT status. So let's just name one tight end that we know is pretty good. Rob Gronkowski. Is Kelsey in his prime right now better than Gronk in his prime? 
I want to kick this off with a quick shout out to my number 10 nationally ranked Iowa State Cyclones headed to the Big 12 championship game and uh, with the best Big 12 conference record in school history and the only uh, regular season winning uh, record ever in Iowa State's history. I thought you guys were ranked ninth. Uh, we were, and then uh, now we're ranked 10th because we beat the crap out of West Virginia and somehow didn't move up. Isn't that weird? Well, USC jumped eight spots to go ahead of Iowa, even though they didn't play this last weekend. So I because they're amazing. So yeah, ask him about that bowl game last year. But hey. but listen, I uh, I bring that up uh, sim- simply because well, first of all, I'm excited about it. So sorry uh, to digress, but uh, Iowa State is basing a lot of their offense and their weaponry off of this like murderer's row. Of tight ends, right? So we have Dylan Sainer, Chase Allen, Charlie Kohler, and all three of those guys will play will play professionally, and all three of those guys are going to benefit from what we see as kind of the Gronk to Kelsey uh, kind of like star power of the tight end, and it comes down to, especially in Iowa State, but also uh, from a professional perspective, it comes down to diversity of offensive weaponry, right? Where I think. You can make the case for Kelsey being the best is that Kelsey strikes me as the kind of guy that you could cut and paste into any team in the NFL and he would be a force. I think the same is true of Gronk in his prime, but we're sort of getting a look at that this season in Tampa Bay where both he and Brady have kind of been, you know, cut and pasted from their time in New England. And, um, you know, it's just hard for me to kind of make those lateral comparisons. But I just really feel like Kelsey is the complete set of football IQ, physicality, explosiveness, strength, like all that. I mean, it's, it's just hard to imagine anybody playing the position better than him. But maybe it's maybe it's proximity bias as a Chiefs fan. I think that's a really good point. I think, you know, Kelsey is a much more valuable plug and play kind of guy, as you mentioned, than a lot of tight ends are. It's like you say the same thing about Kittle. You know, I I know I've gone to this well before and I'm a huge Kittle fan. You know, he's a Hawkeye alum. But I mean, this season, Kelsey has not just widened the gap between him and Kittle. He's taken away Kittle's arguments. You know, people are saying, well, Kelsey can't block. Kelsey's made some incredible blocks and some pancake blocks tonight. And was like, well, Kittle dragged those three saints on that play. It's like, did you see Kelsey end that man's career tonight with that <laughs> stiff arm? Yeah. Good freaking gracious. Like, it's no longer a, it's no longer Kelsey is this delicate tight end, kind of his big bulky receiver. It's like, Kelsey does it all. Kelsey does it all. Yeah, I, ha- I have a few stats to go through today as we talk about this. The main one is... Well, actually, the main one is health, honestly. So when when we go back to looking at Rob Gronkowski in his prime, he still was not a model of health. Like, he had a 1,300-yard season in 2011, and then 2012, he goes to 700 yards. 2013, 592. Now, those were years that he wasn't doing very well health-wise. Then 2014, he comes back, has 1,100 yards. 15 has 1,100 yards. Then 2016, 540. You know, so those are years where he digresses in his health, where Kelsey we haven't seen. Kelsey, we're seeing this this scary, just like crazy curve going up. 
If you look at his 2014 season, which was his second season in the league, but his first season, he only played one game. So really his first season in the league has 862 yards. After that, 873. Then 2016, 1,100, 1,000, 1,300, 1,200. And then this this season, we're not done yet, and he's already eclipsed 1,000. So he is on a progression of going up where we didn't see with Gronk. Gronk going back and forth, back and forth with health. Kelsey is the epitome of health. And and not only that, but he plays, like I said, 110%. The Russell Westbrook of the NFL, except he's healthy, except he's, you know, he's always explosive. So it's wonderful. Another stat that I thought was really cool. Okay, yards, uh, yards per catch. Kelsey, every year, 9.9. Next year, 8.5. 9.6, 8. 8.5, 8.9, 9.0 this year, 10 yards per carry. I mean, that, or 10 yards per catch. I apologize. Okay, let's look at Gronk going from the beginning 7.4, 5.7, 5.9, 9, 4.8. Okay, like I'm sorry, when you look at that stat, when you look at that stat, not only do you see explosive plays, but you see yards after the catch as well and that's something that we see a lot with i mean even today against bouye like bouye is like one of the greatest corners right now and kelsey's like see ya peace he did the stiff arm today i mean there's so many things that we see from kelsey that we've never seen before now like i said we can have a tony gonzalez debate at some point but right now we'll just focus on gronk kelsey is better than gronk kelsey is on his way of being the greatest tight end in nfl history yeah, that's what's so interesting about the tight end position is that when you look at the stats, I mean, Tony Gonzalez is considered kind of the unanimous greatest tight end of all time. But even then, like, he doesn't hold all the records. You know, he has a, a fair deal of the records, but it's like, this guy has way more yards. This guy has way more touchdowns. This guy has way more receptions. And it's like, how do you have more yards with fewer receptions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, going down that rabbit hole. So as you mentioned, Kelsey's done a great job staying healthy, right? I think that's the biggest thing that Tony Gonzalez did well was he had a long, productive career. Even in his twilight, he was getting eight, 900-yard seasons, all things considered. Uh, the biggest thing for me with Gronk that I hate to say something so controversial yet so brave is I can't think of another player in professional sports that is held in such high regards and considered arguably the greatest at their position that never played. Like, Gronk's like career prestige and mystique is almost based entirely off of what could have been or you know well in his prime for like five games when he was healthy rada rada he's the best of all time and it's like uh by those metrics i think jeremy lynn was the greatest nick of all time do you hear how stupid that sounds <laughs> oh wait so dare you say that gronk is the michael vick of tight ends well if Michael Vick got the Gronkowski treatment, you would have Michael Vick as a top 10 quarterback of all time. Absolutely. No question. Also, no that's question. a great point. If Michael Vick hadn't gone to prison for hurting dogs, he might be in that conversation. Oh, that yeah. majorly tarnished oh. both his reputation and obviously his career. Everyone go watch the 30 for 30 and you tell me that Lamar Jackson is better than Michael Vick. Because a lot of kids that are growing up today never saw Michael Vick play. Just go to YouTube and watch Michael Vick and you tell me that Lamar Jackson is better than Michael Vick. Anyway, why don't we go back to our original point? But I, as a player, I love Michael Vick. As a player. 
Okay, so so final final answers. Kyle is Kelsey better than Gronk? Yeah. Reese, I think so. I don't see how you can argue otherwise. So so right now we're putting Gronk away, even though Gronk has more titles. I guess we can say that's one argument, but that's a that's a pretty yeah, it's a pretty shaky argument. So right now it's looking like Tony one, Kelsey two. Until and it's really just seeing more years of Kelsey, and then we're gonna have to have the conversation again. But kind of similar to what we had last week, and what we said is Mahomes more talented than Brady. Can you uh, let's screw it? Let's just do it. Can you say Kelsey's more talented than Gonzalez? I still think we should suit up Tony for the playoffs, bro. I wouldn't be against suiting up Tony as a number two. Uh, yeah, sorry, Kaiser. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> why, don't, why don't you go to Winstead's? <laughs> yeah. He pulls up to Winstead's. Tony Gonzalez is sitting there, like, "Oh, sh- game time already! All right, so, see you, man." Okay, so so who so so who is more talented or who is more athletic, Tony or Travis? Uh, I think you could make the argument that Tony Gonzalez may have been more athletic because you got to remember Tony was a D one basketball player and was like truly explosive. Travis is like a machine. Travis is. Travis Kelsey, I hate to say this, is like the unsexy Ford F-150 pickup truck. There is nothing wrong with the Ford F-150 pickup truck. But like, you know, it's not a 350 Super Duty or, you know, it's not XYZ Mack trucks. You know, it's it's just, it's the best at what it does. And Kelsey happens to be a fantastic year, make, and model of said pickup truck. I mean, what we got to also think about, I mean, Tony Gonzalez hasn't been out of the league that long. But every year in the NFL, it becomes basically you have to be faster and stronger every season in the NFL, right? Like the 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 level and the physicality and the athleticism of every guy that you're playing against is raising every year. That's just how it is. And so obviously you can make the call that officiating has changed a lot. So the experience of playing maybe in his era versus today is a little different. But and I understand that those margins are slim, but I think the fact, like you just said, that Kelsey is just a machine, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of longevity. But I still go back to my point that I want to see them play together. Come out of retirement. I mean, he jo- oh yeah, for he sure. joked. He made that post the day Gronkowski came out of retirement. Remember that? Uh, mm-hmm. I remember that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we were all clamoring. We're like, yes, please. <laughs> I'd love to see him get the call while he's on set at Fox. Be like, oh. Oh, hey, guys, uh, I'm taking the Chiefs today because I'm suiting up. Okay, bye. <laughs> I think that I test. I think that Tony actually might be more athletic. I think Kelsey is faster. But Tony, like, going one-on-one, I would want Tony over Kelsey because Tony had the hops. I mean, Tony one-on-one, Tony's going to catch the ball. Even Kelsey today, Kelsey missed some catches that could have sealed the game, unfortunately, um, that, that were rather high. So if you're throwing high – to Kelsey or Tony, I'm probably going to want Tony, but Kelsey's faster. Kelsey might be bigger, honestly. I mean, like like Tony was a little slimmer, but again, to your argument, it could be just the game. You have to be bigger as a tight end today. Uh, you have to be faster. Maybe that's it. But like Kelsey just looks a little bigger where I want more of that power. But I mean, look, Tony could jump and catch the ball as good as Randy Moss, which was amazing. So to, to be to be concluded, I don't think we can stamp it today. We still have we still have a lot more football to play. But, uh, yeah, they both have different skill sets. Well, one last thing I want to jump on before we get out of this part of the conversation is, do you think that Super Bowl victories will affect the outcome of this debate between Tony and Travis? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in right away. Yes, absolutely. I think if if Kelsey somehow gets five Super Bowls, I don't I don't think there's an argument. Even if even if Tony is more athletic, I think if Travis has five, <laughs> if let's Travis Kelsey gets here. five Super Bowls, as if that's the low end. Whoa, yeah, I'm yo, I, like I've said in the beginning of this <laughs> podcast, I am a chiefer. If if Kelsey and Mahomes go to Seattle. I'm still kissing my Kelsey and Mahomes Wheaties box. I love those guys. I love those guys. I'm a homer. Give me five Super Bowls. They have if if Kelsey has three Super Bowls, I think that it's over. There we go. Okay, that answers my question. I was gonna say being a little more realistic. I'll say he gets. I'll say he gets five two, is maybe realistic. Three. Well, listen. I mean, theoretically, we could win ten, and we could win every year for the next decade. Knock on wood. Not with these officials, we won't. <laughs> but yes, yes. Uh, championships do matter. That's why no one talks about Charles Barkley anymore. All right. Wrapping it up, let's quickly go into our next matchup. Tua or Ryan Fitzkyle. We don't know who's going to play. We'll see. Uh, Dolphins, Chiefs. Give me me some scores. Kyle, you go first. Well, I went first last time, and I think I said Kansas City by three touchdowns. That didn't work. Maybe I said by two. I think I might have said KC by two touchdowns, but I think I said three. Yikes. Didn't go that way. I don't Uh, listen to anything you say, so I don't know. I mean, first of all, never underestimate Miami's ability to give somebody a good game, weirdly. That's kind of been their story, honestly, the past, like, three seasons. Um, Really, really ever since that abysmal season they had and since the rebuild began, they've been able to play – kind of up weird and I, I guess it goes back to the fact that a lot of in a 16 game season a lot of guys kind of overlook the the bad team so fair enough um but i don't know i think worst case scenario we see a game like today and i'm gonna take chiefs by like three but but i would like to think that we solve some of the issues of today so i'm gonna say i'm gonna say chiefs by 10 um so i know i had to eat crow a few weeks ago but can I just point out right now that this enigmatic Miami Dolphins team is seven and one <laughs> in their last eight. Yeah, you're right. And eight and two in their last ten. This is so weird because none of these numbers are adding up. They beat the Bengals today nineteen to seven. I'll be that's a Bengals team without Joe Burr. I wish him a speedy recovery. However, on the flip side, they couldn't beat the Denver Broncos. 20 to 13. They lost 20 to 13. The Jets, they won 20 to 3. This offense exists in spite of itself. It's like the panda bear that refuses to breed. You know, I I just don't (laughs) get this team. So that's fantastic. So that's a great analogy. So I I don't know. It's like we could go in there and and for all I know, we're going to win like. 11 to 9 against this team or we could go in there and just straight blow them out and make it a nightmare on to a tongue of Iloa. so i i don't know i'm just gonna say let's see the bills beat them 31 28 uh we'll do the same 31 28 all right cool um i i don't i don't know what this team is like i will concede reese that this team is better than i thought they were going to be They they went eight and four and they've lost to good teams minus the broncos they lost to the seahawks bills and patriots in the beginning of the season by the way when cam was playing well now he's playing well again anyway 
I don't know what team this is, so I don't know what the Chiefs perceive the Dolphins as. If the Chiefs perceive the Dolphins as a good team, then I think we'll play well. But if they see them like a Raiders, like a Broncos, then it could be a close game again. So I'll split the difference. I'll say 28 to 14 Chiefs. Uh, regardless of Tua or Fitz, because the Dolphins do have a good defense. And like I said, they've lost to good teams minus the Broncos. Um, so we'll see. But they have a t- those dudes have a tough schedule. Poor, poor guys they actually might screw it up for themselves. They got Chiefs, Patriots who are playing really well right now, uh, Raiders who who knows what's going on in the Bills. So they they can lose at least three of those games. I believe we should fact check this, but I believe Miami had the most difficult schedule and the Steelers had the easiest this season. Is that correct? Steelers probably had the all decade. I mean, I, I would but... I would believe it. They played the Rams, the Cardinals, the Bills twice, the Patriots. Like those are all good teams. Those aren't bad teams. I'll check it right now. Yeah, for being a team that like finished last last year, it's hard to Hard yeah. to believe ah. they got handed such a difficult schedule. Actually, uh, well, close. The Dolphins were third. The only teams with tougher strength schedules are the Patriots at number one, the Jets at number two, wow. and then and then the Niners at number four, and then a bunch of teams tied for five. Tank for Trevor. I'm sure some Patriots fans somewhere are like, that's why we suck. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM. There you'll find premium content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Find us on Instagram at FountainCitySM to get updates on the podcast, sports, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.